greetings, Archons. Welcome to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss various topics regarding combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake and Sir Dan. To our longtime listeners, sorry for the short delay on getting this podcast out to you. To everybody else, welcome back to another edition of Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast. This is Jake, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dan. Hey, Jake, how's it going? You know, just, you know, a 4th of July holiday here in the States. Um, I was traveling a bunch last week, and you've been traveling through the weekends. So yeah, so we apologize for a couple of days late, but better late than never, right? But we do have a great episode today. Uh so before we do that, before we dive into our great main topic where we'll be discussing some of the most skill testing cards in Keyforge, I wanted to give a congratulations to our winner of the Gimme That Gamma. There were actually a handful of people that correctly picked two out of the three houses of the Gamma deck correctly. Um, most of the people guessed Mars and Logos, so... Maybe those are uh, historians of the podcast that know I have a tendency to pull Mars and Logos decks in Coda Sealed. The people that got two out of three were Zach Armstrong, Blake, Vault Boy, Blazing Archon, Shia Asby, Mr. Stice ATL, and L Day. I stuck those names in a random generator and it pulled out at L Day on Twitter. So congratulations. L Day, all day. Let's go. I will reach out to you. Uh, and get that address and it will be on its way. So congratulations and thanks again to everybody for entering that giveaway. Congratulations. Uh, other announcements really quick to get out of the way. Our Adaptive League is actually going to start next week. So you'll probably be hearing this podcast on Wednesday. We're going to close it down on Sunday and start on Monday. And so far at last check, we have almost 10 people signed up for the EU division. So you europeans and kind of more on that side of the world time frame we have a separate division for you guys so that you can play at your leisure and not in the middle of the night or the early early mornings and then the uh the last time i checked i think we we're almost to 30 people on the u.s side for the adaptive league so if you're still interested in playing in that if you've been on our discord uh in the sign up page there is a pinned message that has the link to the challenge i think that's how you say it i don't know challenge um tournament brackets so that you can get yourself signed up and put in the brackets seedings aren't final on sunday i'm going to reshuffle them one more time because it's just literally putting people in the order that they sign up so i found out how you can shuffle that so uh, the groups will be shuffled so don't think that you can get a head start on your games by seeing who's in your group already just hold off till next week yeah so get in that challenge for the long awaited much anticipated sanctimonious adaptive league yeah it'll be default tco so the crucible online so if you play on there it's only going to be coded decks but we have opened it up that if both players do agree you can play it on tts as well and that way you can play your aoa decks but both players have to agree. We're not going to force anybody to go out and spend money to buy Tabletop Simulator if they don't have it already. But yeah, game on. Any other announcements before we jump into our weekly inspiration where we talk about one Keyforge-related thing that inspired us? No, I think I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Let's go. All right. 
right. So my inspiration is uh, we got called out by another podcast this week. Like just today, actually, like this very morning, we got called out really hard by uh, the Keep Fort podcast. So, uh, I mean, we meant no harm. I mean, I'm sorry that Scott likes us more than you, but we can't help that. We're just we're good guys. And no, we're not from Alabama or whatever other state. I'm sure those are fine states, but, you know, Pacific Northwest for life. Let's go. Um, so inspiration, they actually, we've been exchanging, as they so eloquently noted, we exchanged some packages. And so they sent me one. And so I'm now just opening it. And I have a mini signed by Dan. And it says, I heart Brobnar on the, on the front, on a white mini here with a Capsia Disc Golf, the great state of, I'm guessing, Minnesota, since that's where they're from. On the mini, we have, oh my goodness, we have, I hope this isn't the deck I sent him, because that'd be mean. <laughs> nope. We have two more minis, uh, one that says, go fort yourself. <laughs> Another one says, Mars bangs moms. All right. And the packing, uh, it was a deck that has been ripped up. It looks like it is Blaze Corporal somebody. It is a Mars Sanctum Shadows deck that has been so eloquently ripped up to use for padding for the three uh, minis. So I guess, thank you? <laughs> I think I might have been laughing when you said the cast that was from, but just to yeah. reiterate, uh, that's the Key Fort podcast. Absolutely hilarious, great audio quality podcast all about kind of key forge but a very much a different flavor than all the other ones check them out if you haven't already definitely one of my favorite casts out there can i just say that shield of justice got ripped in such a way that you can still read the shield of justice it worked <laughs> so here's my inspiration we've been called out by another cast we're going to line up a match a grudge match against their champion, the king of the fort. They called us out and we can hopefully uh, come together as two different sovereign nations and two different forms of castles and settle our differences inside the crucible. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Really looking forward to that. Yeah. Hopefully we can get that on our itinerary sooner rather than later. Yes. Moving on to my weekly inspiration. As I mentioned last week, it was the first week in a while I didn't get to play any Keyforge, so I had to correct that, and I got out to a Chainbound event. I think my inspiration about this whole event, it was a lot of fun. I played a very silly Brobnar Mars Shadows deck that has a, a Lull Up, a Flex, a Might Makes Right. It's got a total recall and a couple of Ronnies, so it's just, it's not the best deck in the world. It's super fun. Lots of good hijinks it can pull off and i think really what struck me about that event was just how easy keyforge is to just pick up a deck and show up you know you can't do that in the same way in magic i mean that's what i know from my experience and i assume the same is true in Yu-Gi-Oh or star wars destiny or, or whatever no, no no jake 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 you can it's just like five six hundred dollars easy just drop that at the front of the shop there you know spend ten more dollars on sleeves and you're good to go for one of those events. <laughs> like, even ignoring that, like, even if you have a big collection of magic cards, you can't just, like, shuffle up a random pile and show up where you really can do that in Keyforge. Uh, I end up going 2-1, losing to Kevin. 
uh, a local player who is now 2-0 and against me. So A nemesis. I definitely want to take him down next time. Credit where it's due. He's, he's uh, been a really good player in both those matches, and he ultimately got me in this one, locking me out with a Shadow Maverick Control of the Week to stop uh, me from uh, getting him uh, off uh, of uh, his uh, board. Uh. Which I definitely, it was Archon, so I looked at his list and did not make note of that. So that was a mistake. Whoops. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was a great time. Great people. Total blast. And then, you know, just sort of reiterated to me how accessible Keyforge is. Even if you're not somebody who plans on going to big tournaments, plans on, you know, qualifying for Worlds or spending a ton on a deck. It really does work as just a casual, fun game to sort of a company a board gaming habit or a video game habit or whatever else you have indeed no and you said yours is mars brobnar your house yeah mars brobnar shadow i've got to admit encoda mars and brobnar were like two houses i avoided like the plague and now in aoa oh my goodness they're fun they're real fun in aoa it hasn't really changed my perception of them in coda but anyway i really do not mind seeing brobnar mars anymore in the deck they're definitely two of my very favorite I think Logos number one, but those two right after it. All right, let's jump into our main topic. It's going to be another meaty one where we get to argue about cards again. All right, well, I look forward to disagreeing early and often. This week's main topic is we are going to be talking about the different skill testing cards in Keyforge. And this is over Coda and AOA. Um, we both kind of poured through the entire card database and made a list, checked it twice, checked it thrice, and we still ended up with a lot of cards. So we'll probably not hit all of them on our list, but we're going to try to get to as many of them as we can and kind of say um, why they're skill testing, like how you can get the best use out of them, that kind of topic. Before we jump into the specific cards, I think it's maybe interesting to talk about why this matters. And I guess I'll pose a question to you. Why do you think it's important to sort of identify which cards are more challenging to play with uh, than others? I feel like so a lot of these cards on this list, there's definitely a situation where they're good. And there's a situation where they're bad. A lot of the skill testing cards that are going to show up are going to be artifacts that sometimes you're better off just discarding based on the situation. That's really kind of hard to wrap your head around a lot of times. Or there's just other cards that there's a lot more considerations than just playing that card that you have to have in mind when playing that card. And so we'll dive in further as we hit some of those cards. But that's kind of kind of what shaped my thinking in making this list. So I just have one more point to add which is that I think it's also important to know for, like we mentioned before, we've got the Adaptive League coming up. And I think that decks that have more of these cards, more skill testing cards, more challenging to play might be the kind of deck you want to identify to play in an Adaptive League, where if you can really figure out the intricacies, figure out how to maximize the strengths of those cards and minimize the weaknesses and really put in the practice, I think that is one of the ways you could really get an edge in a format like Adaptive. I think those Adaptive Leagues are popping up more and more around the world. Yeah, I think this is this is certainly a relevant topic for that. Sure. So what's your next question? What So what qualities make a card skill testing for you? That was the question you just asked me. All right, let's get that. Okay, so do you think specifically, as you were looking through the list of cards, were there houses that popped up more and less frequently than others? Yes, moving on. <laughs> no there's definitely there's definitely houses where i added a lot of cards on the first run through and then had to come back and kind of trim it down a little bit and then there's other houses where it's like 
Um, yep, these cards pretty much do what you expect them to do. So probably the biggest example is Sanctum. Sanctum was like the greatest house ever. And obviously, since it's the greatest house ever, like all of its cards just kind of do what they do. Like, and I think that's kind of why everybody was kind of against Sanctum and Kodo a little bit, like, because it was just so straightforward. It wasn't like super exciting or super sexy to play those cards. But I mean, they just they do what they do. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because... I, I agree. Like a lot of the Sanctum cards are more straightforward. However, in combination, I don't think it's the most straightforward way to win a game. Like there might be more intricate cards in Shadows, for instance, but when they combine, it comes into, it often shows up as like a very straightforward amber control strategy, where sometimes the lines in more creature heavy Sanctum decks could be harder to identify overall. So I just think that's sort of an interesting caveat to when we're looking at these individual cards it might not show the full picture do you agree with that yes moving on (laughs) lightning round let's just do one more uh question here sure how do you think the topic of skill testing cards conflates with just bad and situational cards are th- are those cards that come up with you and i guess the reason i ask that is because keyforge unlike any other card game bad cards are going to show up in deck right and you're, you're sort of forced into playing them in, in ways that you just simply aren't in other games so would you consider a card like that as a skill testing card or is that just something else no, I feel like most of the cards we have in our list are actually like good cards, but they can be great cards if played correctly. I don't think I really put any bad cards in the list because a bad card is just bad. Like it's not skill testing if it's bad. The skill testing part's not making the card good. The skill testing part is making the card great, I guess in my mind as I went through and made the list. Yeah, I think I uh, agree with that. You still want to do the best that you can with the card in your deck, but... I mean, if a card's bad and you're just discarding it most of the time, then that's a pretty easy decision to make. So, okay, with those caveats and discussion questions in mind, are you ready to move on to our first house? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So excited. All so right. excited. Brobnar time. Brobnar. Let's start in alphabetical order because I have it pulled up here with barehanded. This is an action card that gives you an amber when played, and it says play, put each artifact on top of its owner's deck. Now this card sounds pretty straightforward, and I will admit Brobnar is another kind of straightforward house, so I didn't actually run into a ton of cards for Brobnar, so maybe this one got thrown in because of that. But pretty much, uh, if you're evaluating somebody's list, if you're playing this in Archon and you have barehanded in your deck, you really need to know like, kind of what artifacts your opponent has, how many artifacts they have. Um, I mean, hopefully you draw it in the right order, or maybe you have a way to archive, since archiving is such a big thing now, that you can really save it for that turn, so if they have that like I was jamming a couple of my decks together and barehanded won me a game because I was able to keep putting Heart of the Forest about three cards down. <laughs> and so it'd take two turns for myself to redraw back into Heart of the Forest and I could sneak in my forges in those in-between turns. Um, so stuff like that, like just recognizing that if they have a few few different artifacts and being able to order them on top of their uh, library or their draw pile, sorry, not a library. We're not playing Magic here. Yeah, it's just, it's a really skill-testing card. I mean, there's times when you're just going to fire it off for the Amber, and I guess that's fine. But I think this one can be a real skill-tester in really being able to evaluate your opponent's deck list and knowing when it'll be good. Yeah, and it also has the potential drawback, which is something I think you'll see in a lot of these cards. Whereas, you know, it may come up in a situation where your opponent only has one artifact and you have two, right? And is it is it 
if theirs is impactful enough, maybe it is worth it to put all of them back. Deciding when a drawback is worth it to play and when you need to just discard is is a theme we'll see in a lot of these cards. Yeah, and I mean the other one too is if you have say artifacts that come with amber pips, like even barehanding yourself just to redraw those for the amber pips can sometimes be a pretty sweet play if you're setting up. So if you have a couple Mars artifacts and you have a few Mars cards in hand, um, setting up that barehanded turn to put those Mars artifacts with the pips on them back into the deck is kind of a cool thing to draw into and then get a few more amber on your next turn. So yeah. just ways to ways to kind of elevate that card. All right, let's go on to the next one. Yeah, so we'll go Relentless Assault. This is another Bravnar action card. Play, ready, and fight with up to three different friendly creatures one at a time. So yeah, Jake, you want to take this one? Sure. I mean, I think it's a little bit tough at times just because uh, I guess one of the things that I look for when I'm thinking about a skill testing card is one that's going to create many decisions. And Relentless Assault, in, in many cases, is going to give you six Right. If you have three creatures, if you have more than three creatures out and your opponent has more than three creatures out, you have to decide so many little different micro decisions, right? Because you pick which creatures you want to ready, which creatures you want to fight, in what order. Uh, it's just a card that a whole lot of sort of mental arithmetic comes into. And at times it can be difficult just to have the mental bandwidth to do that all right, especially if it's, you know, at the end of a long turn or you have to do actions before or after in the right order it can it can just get tricky i think just for that simple fact alone yeah and like the other part where you can really skill test yourself is if you can clear a board and play relentless assault with some brobnar dudes out it's really good for those double reap turns so kind of working your way to the point where maybe your first relentless assault kills off their last creatures so that your other two brobnar guys if you have two other brobnar guys on the field you can get those extra reaps in which is a really cool use of relentless assault as well as um just any creatures you have with good fight abilities so if you have a deck full of good fight abilities that are out of house and you can relentless assault on a turn when you're playing more brobnar guys um and get some of those fight effects like umbra to steal off a skirmish and just other other good ones dodger is another good shadows one maybe i play a lot of shadows i don't know maybe it's just on my brain yeah but yeah Relentless Assault, kind of seal testing. Like I said, Brobnar is pretty straightforward, so I may have been reaching on a few of these. Yeah, because, I mean, you're always going to play it, basically. Like, it's, I don't think it's a card you don't play if you have a Brobnar turn, because you're waiting to try and get reaps out of it in the vast majority of cases. All right, so next yep, next one we'll go with Sound the Horns. So this is another action card. Comes with an amber baked in. Play discard cards from the top of your deck until you either discard a Brobnar creature or run out of cards. If you discarded a Brobnar creature this way, put it into your hand. So this card, I feel, really is skill testing. Like, you really have to have a good idea of what's in your deck, what you're trying to find, if there are even any more Brobnar creatures in your deck, or if you know that there's not any Brobnar creatures and you just want to flip your deck over and reshuffle everything back in. There's so many things to keep track of as you are debating when and where to play this card. And I think you even wrote about it in an article, Jake. Yeah, I did. And I think the thing to me that makes this one of the most skill testing cards actually in the game is because of the fact that it rewards so much knowing every single card in your deck. Uh, whereas a lot of times you don't really need to know that information. At the end of the game, you can sort of figure it out a little bit. Uh, if you've got like three cards in your, left in your deck, you can do it then. But I think Coward's End, because of the propensity to just dump four or five cards in your 
deck and your discard or more, it really changes the odds. So the difference between a lower skilled person using this card, they're just going to be playing it and getting a creature and that's the end. Whereas somebody who's a really top level player using this card is not just thinking about that level one of, okay, what creature am I going to get in play? Uh, if, if any at all, they're really thinking about, okay, so I'm seeing, you know, all these other cards that changes the odds of what's in my deck, that changes the math, that's going to change the way you sequence turns from then to the end of the game. And you can really use that incrementally to create a huge advantage. Yeah, and like if you get use a lot of your high impact cards, like firing this off feels so good that you're going to get through your deck that much faster. Or if you're searching for that one deck, uh, that one impact card, that's when you almost have to pause when playing it. Because if you're kind of towards the end of the game and you have this in hand, and you've got that miasma in your last like five cards, and you've got this in hand, like you're going to be very reticent to actually want to play it in that situation if you throw that miasma away and cost your, yourself the game. But then again, I have another deck that really likes creatures because it has three exhumes. And so sounding the horns in that deck always feels awesome because I'm just filling up my graveyard with options for my exhumes and possibly throwing a few exhumes in there too. But yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the risk you take. That's a great point, though, about you not always playing this card, which is definitely a hallmark of a skill testing card. Cards that you don't play 100% of the time, right? Because that in and it of itself is another decision you have to make. And I think often one of the harder, hardest decisions in any game of Keyforge is when do I discard something? Definitely. And um, I've got a slash in here on this one. So Invasion Portal for Mars. So it's the same thing, except for it's an artifact. So you can do it over and over again where you're finding a Mars creature. And pretty much just take everything we just said, translate it to Mars, and we're done with that one too. <laughs> All right. Um, next, we'll do one last action card, and then we'll hit an artifact. So we've got Unguarded Camp. It's a Brobnar action card with a Amber Pip. For each creature you have in excess of your opponent, a friendly creature captures one. Each creature cannot capture more than one this way. I don't know. It's probably really isn't that skill testing. It's just it's yeah. building the board, like knowing your deck and being able to build the board. If you if this is in your deck, you know that you want to be big on board, and so you're gonna have to play more of a creature heavy strategy. So I guess that's the skill testing part, F figuring out if your deck supports this card, <laughs> and then playing towards it. That's a good point. So well, how about let's do one actually skill testing action that I, I think I snuck in to added to the end here. Um, okay, go for it. So coward's end. I think that is one of the hardest cards to play in the game as well honestly you, do you disagree um i think so skill testing wise like there's a lot of ways i've got a bunch of i've got a triple coward's end deck that also has a lot of twin bolt emissions you'd think you'd be using twin bolt emissions on your opponents twin bolt is the logos card that deals two damage and two damage and in that deck i actually hit my creatures a lot to play around my own coward's ends which is really fun yeah i think like i find this card so challenging is because it really opens up avenues that are sometimes just awful right you'll like shoot your own guy and then they'll come through after and just finish it off with something that wouldn't have killed it otherwise so like knowing when it's right to hurt your own creature on purpose especially with an action and know and then knowing when that's actually just going to be shooting yourself right in the foot is challenging and then even on a more surface level, just the fact that it adds three chains when playing is a significant drawback. So it's a card on its face because of that, you're not always going to play. And I think it can be really hard to know when it's right to play and wrong. Because you think, okay, my opponent has three creatures, I have none. Uh, so I just cowards in for free and get rid of all those creatures. You know, that might be right. But if those are all creatures in a different 
in different houses that aren't really making a big impact on the board. Even a situation like that, adding three chains to your hand might not be worth it. So it's tough, you know? It's not as simple as a straight arithmetic. Okay, I'm getting rid of three cards. That's worth three chains to me. Because, you know, it might be getting rid of one of their cards and two of your own is worth it in another situation if it's, you know, a Dusk Witch or a Witch of an Eye that's gonna devastate you the next turn. So I think it's hard to figure that out. It's, it's a card I maybe, I'm biased. I guess it's something I struggle with. Uh, a lot in terms of just whenever I've got that in my hand, like, oh, I don't know. I, you know, and then you have, and it's one of those pivotal moments in the game a lot of the time. You just think back, you're like, oh man, should I have discarded that? Or one more thought, you might only have one good board clear in your deck, in which case, if that shows up early, is that going to be a card then you is worth it to chain yourself and hold on to? Because you know, you know, maybe that's your deck's weakness, is it doesn't have too much board clear. So I think there's a lot of tough decisions that come with that card yep so last one from brobnar as uh, an artifact from the new set we've got grump buggy gives you an artifact when it or gives you an amber when it comes in so here's your barehanded target right here have some fun with that bounce that back to your deck and play it again the next turn if you want um your opponent's keys cost plus one for each friendly creature with power five or higher and then your keys cost plus one for each enemy creature with power five or higher i put this one as a skill tester because you really have to know what's in your deck. I've played somebody on TTS, and this is Blake from Help from Future Self podcast. He was pretty excited about this Grump Buggy deck that he's that he'd gotten. It was really highly rated, and we got done with the game, and I'm like, I think that Grump Buggy helped me more than it helped you. And we looked through his list, and I think he had four creatures that were power five or more in the entire deck. So it's just realizing that kind of thing when you're playing with this card. Make sure that your deck actually has the five power creatures to make it hurt your opponent more than you. Or realize if you're going into a game and you see their list and their list is just big old beefy five power plus guys, maybe in that matchup you just discard it because it's probably going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt them. Yeah. So that's that's where my skill testing part of this card is coming in, is you really need to be aware of what's in your list, what's in your opponent's list, and whether or not it's going to actually help you or hinder you in the long run. Yeah, and there's there's quite a few artifacts that fit in the same boat, but so uh, I think we'll get back to that same thing in some of these other houses. Yep, definitely. So that covers Brobnar. So now we're on to Dis. Dis. Dis is one. Yeah, this is this is a house that actually has a lot of skill testing cards. I think they're kind of the premier control house. And so that kind of makes sense that there's their cards are a little more skill testing. No, I don't agree with that, man. Really? That's like MTG bias. Like, oh, like control is so hard. Aggro is so easy. I don't think that's true at all. I'm just saying this, there's more cards that require you to make decisions within Dis to control what's happening. I don't know. Like, I think it goes back to my thought about Sanctum being maybe more straightforward on its face, but as a house, it can be pretty difficult to find the winning lines. Well, anyways, we'll go through the cards and we'll see if we change Jake's mind at all or not. Um, so the first two that I have grouped together are Arise, which is a disaction play. Choose the house, return each creature of that house from your discard pile to your hand, gain one chain. And then a very closely related one to this is Not Finished With You. So an AOA card also gives you an Amber as an added bonus. And you may go through your discard pile and shuffle in any number of creatures. So not restricted to a single house. Um, but yeah, play shuffle any number of creatures from your discard pile into your deck. So the skill testing part about both of these is for Arise, I mean, it's most of the time right to call Dis because that's the house you're in. And those are the creatures that you can get back right away and play right away. So it has the biggest impact when you call Dis. But the skill testing part is knowing that sometimes it's not right to call Dis. 
and it's better to call maybe another house that would be more impactful at the stage of the game that you're in. Um, I've got a deck where calling Arise for Untamed sets up a silly double hunting witch Flaxia Choda turn. I think it's a skill testing card too, but I don't think it's hard to identify what house to get back. I think usually in most cases, it's pretty straightforward. I think where it gets challenging for me is knowing when, if, if it's a turn to play it. Is it, do I have enough, like, do I have a critical mass of creatures right now that it's worth it to get them back and get a chain? Is it a card I should self-chain myself with? Because, you know, later in the game, I know it's going to be, like, a huge impactful swing. Or is it even something I discard because it's, like, so early on? I think for me, like, that is where I find, like, the challenge of using this card correctly, more so than, than identifying what house to pull back although it can i mean occasionally it can be close sure but i think in general it's going to be you know no and i agree i mean it just depends on when you draw i mean if you draw it late like drawing it late when you're at the bottom of your deck is like the best thing ever because then you have all the options but when you're drawing it if you have it in your opening hand like i'm pitching that thing as soon as i call this unless i can at least get one or two creatures back that are worthwhile from probably house disc because it's not worth it for a different house unless it's something like Fagan. But uh, no, so I mean, yeah, you're right. But there is a pivot point with a rise where you're about the midpoint of your deck and you have that in hand with like three other uh, discards and it's just whether or not you pull the trigger then to get something out of it or if you just discard it to move forward in your game plan and draw some more cards. We're not finished with you, I've found to be very skill testing, is that there is no house limit. So you can return any creatures that you want. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around how many creatures to bring back with this. So it's still something I'm kind of figuring out. Like things like Schuler and Ronnie Wrist Clocks are easy to like think, yeah, that's definitely going to get shuffled back in. Um, There's other times where I've played against said Grump Buggy deck and I was able to put all of my big Brobnar guys in the bottom of my deck when I had like four cards left. And so I just made his keys cost a million. Like that was super cool. And it was just something that, you know, like most of the time I don't want to throw in. Like, I mean, the Brobnar guys are way better in AOA, but a lot of times it's not going to be right to shuffle all those big Brobnar guys in and get back into some of the actions. So just figuring out when to shuffle what back in, how many you should be shuffling in. As I've been playing a lot of AOA on TTS, I've seen different people kind of go with different strategies. Seen some people kind of go my route where they're only putting like one or two high impact creatures in and then i've also seen people just pretty much shuffle back in all their creatures so their deck becomes very creature heavy and i'm still not sure where i fall on that line yet yeah and it probably really depends on the matchup just listening to you talk like this seems like a very hard card to use correctly like you know really i mean though the effect is similar to a rise the challenge is in a very different place because i mean this is a card you're always playing probably if you're calling this because you could just do zero if you wanted to but when you think about the challenge of playing the correct line with it, you know, if you have 10 different creatures in your discard pile, like that, that is a lot of different combinations of creatures you could choose to bring back. And to do it correctly, it requires knowing not just like what are the best creatures in the current game, in the situation on the board, in the likely situation, but also like what's the composition of your deck? What kind of cards are left in there that you really need to draw? What what houses can you set up uh, something that you're likely to be more loaded with one house to maybe set up big bigger draws later in the game like there's a lot going into that 
Yeah, I mean, that's even another thing, too. If you can figure out that, say, you're in your like last eight cards of your deck and you know that of those eight, six of them are from a single house, if all of a sudden you want to shuffle all of that house back into your deck so you just play that entire house for a couple turns, that could be really strong. Yeah, that seems great. Yeah, so lots of different strategies within it. So, yeah, that, that seems like a, a really a really tough one. Yep. So good luck. Let us, yeah, let us know what you guys think on that one. Run, I'm going to go running tally, but I, I think that's right up there with sound the horns for me in terms of sure. overall complexity. All right. So this next one we have is going to be a triplicate. It's going to be control the weak, restrain Guntus, and Tezmal kind of all grouped together. So control the weak is a disaction with an amber pit play. Choose a house on your opponent's identity card. Your opponent must choose that house as their active house on their next turn. And then Tezmal is a, another disc creature. He's elusive, two power. He's got a reap ability that says choose a house. Your opponent cannot choose that house as their active house on their next turn. And then our favorite Restrained Guntus is a one power. And he says pretty much the same thing as Tezmal. <laughs> yeah. He's not a reap effect. It just happens when he drops in. Here he is. Play, choose a house. Your opponent cannot choose that house as their active house until Restrained Guntus leaves play. On the face, all of these are pretty straightforward. Like you're just choosing a house. But where the real skill testing part comes in is that you have to, you really need to pick the correct house. For control of the week, you really need to know what's in your opponent's list, what the situation currently is in the game. You kind of have to be tracking like what houses they've been playing so far. What what are they most likely to have in hand so that you can call the house that they don't have a bunch of cards in hand. I mean, sometimes they just have a huge board and it's just easy to pick not what their huge board is and hope that you pick the one house that's in their hand that they don't have many of because if they've got a big board of one house, they've probably got a big hand of another house with just a couple cards of the other. And so, I mean, there's so many different combinations you kind of have to think about as you're making that decision for what house to either put them in or prevent them from calling. I suspect that if we did a poll of the most skill-testing cards in the game... Control the week might come up number one. And I, I think even if it isn't, like there might not be as many decision points or factors that go into it as a card like not finished with you, which we just talked about. But the importance of picking right is so tremendously important. And it's not at all, you know, a gimme, a, you know, to get that right. Um, but in, in many cases, it can, it can be the game. If you, if you, if you just time walk your opponent because they can't play anything uh, and you get a whole free turn. Or, on the other hand, if you pick the house they're going to call anyway, then it just says gain one amber. Yeah. The gulf between those two outcomes is so enormous. So the last point of that is I'm in um, like fighting games, there's the concept of like doing mental damage to your opponent where... You know, even if you don't kill them, if you do like a big long combo that they can't get out of, even if it doesn't do that much damage, it's just like annoying, frustrating, and you start to feel like you're losing the game more so than you really are. I think that like if somebody gets a control the week wrong, that is like big mental damage. Because like there are, there are those moments when somebody controls the week you in the house that you have like four or five cards in your hand of. And just the look on their face when you're like, oh, Logos, huh, okay, I guess I'll just play Logos. And you're just like, boom, 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 boom. That's some serious mental damage. It's hard to bounce back from that. No, and I'll, I'll say from my own experience too, as I've gotten to be a better player, I've been able to make Control the Weak hit more often. And so I think it really is kind of something that you really have to have a full understanding of the game and be able to kind of, like I said, it's it's tracking a bunch of stuff. It's tracking 
what could potentially hurt you on the next turn from one of their house lists that you saw maybe 15, 20 minutes ago. You're able to recall what house might hurt you coming up next and just kind of keeping track of what they've been playing and what's in their discard to determine what's most likely in their hand. And so Restrain Guntis and Tesmo kind of follow the same path. And then on top of those, you're trying to set up a situation where they actually stick to the board for a few turns. So in Coda, it was pretty nice dropping a Shadow Self one turn and then dropping Restring Guntis the next turn right next to Shadow Self. That was a pretty sweet play. Um, Tesmol, I guess you've got Gub, I guess in-house or Pit Lord that you can hide in behind. Um, it's, it's a little bit it's a little bit tougher to hide people. Trubaru is a good one for Coda as well. Sure. Yep. Just somebody with taunt, something something that's going to come out and make them a little less likely to just get wiped off the board right away. Like, Restrain Guntis will still get one turn of use where they can't use the house that you said that they couldn't use, but Tezmal doesn't actually start taking an effect until you're able to call this again, so... So a lot of times, one more thought that you want to put into it when deciding is sometimes it can protect itself. If you know that they have some direct damage in, you know, logos, you could just shut that off or whatever, meaning... They might be sitting in there, sitting there with a way to kill it in hand that they can't play. All right, so I'm going to stay on the action train here. Okay. We're going to cover the last, I guess there's two actions because you added one, but we'll go to Creeping Oblivion. So it's a disaction card with an amber pip. It says, play, purge up to two cards from a discard pile. Again, a very straightforward card, but knowing what to purge is such a huge decision like it's again we're calling back on what our opponent's card index card kind of said kind of what their index card kind of denoted the type of strategy they'd be playing like are they playing untamed so you need to like pull out those untamed creatures so they can't regrowth them if they have regrowth or are they playing time travelers you want to try to hold it till their time traveler hits the yard and get rid of time traveler for good um, there's just there's so many things or is it better to thin your own deck with creeping oblivion and get rid of those bad pennies so you don't redraw them, or just different cards that you don't want to see again, that you just want to thin your deck. Maybe you're towards the end of your deck, and you're like, when I reshuffle, I need to find this card, so I'll get rid of two cards out of my discard that I definitely don't don't want to redraw into. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I was, I was. That's funny that you mentioned bad penny. When you said it's hard to decide, I was like, are you kidding me? It's easy. You just get rid of your own bad penny every time. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Uh, so keeping oblivion again, just yeah, you're, you're you're having to pull on a lot of information to make the right call when you're getting rid of cards. So the next one is just gateway to dis, and I don't think we need to talk much about this, but it's it's challenging for me in the same way uh, that uh, Coward's End is. It's hard to know when to play it, when to discard it, and when you want to not play or discard, but actually chain yourself. And there's there's only very few cards in the game that have a big enough impact that you're that is often the right answer, and I think uh, Gateway to Dis is one of those. Perfect. All right, the next two I'm going to group together are Soul Snatcher. It's an artifact. Each time a creature is destroyed, its owner gains one amber. And then the other one I'm going to group with that one will also be Annihilation Ritual. So Annihilation Ritual is another Dis artifact with an amber pip. When a creature would enter a discard pile from play, it is purged instead. So again, um, Annihilation Ritual, I guess, is kind of weird to group with Soul Snatcher because pretty much Annihilation Ritual says, does your deck not want to have your creatures come back? If so, play this card. But if you know your opponent's strategy is to regrow things, arise things, not finish with you, 
like this is a card you really want to see if you can't hard mulligan for to just kind of shut those options off and kind of shut their deck down a little bit. So Annihilation Ritual is really dependent on your deck. Like I've got some bad Annihilation Ritual decks and I've got a good Annihilation Ritual deck and the good one's a lot of fun because all the action cards are really great. And once your deck's pared down from all the creatures and it's just those action cards, it's pretty hard to lose. I agree. And I think that this one is just like a grunt buggy, right? Both of these where it's a parallel effect, right? Between you and your opponent. So you just have to know, you have to be able to use the skill of evaluating your list and their list to determine, does this help you more than your opponent? And sometimes it'll be really obvious, but other times not so much. So I, I see that in the exact same place. Yep. And then Soul Snatcher is each time a creature is destroyed, it's owner gains one amber. This one's all about the timing of when you play it. Usually these decks will be pretty... I've I've had a few different Soul Snatcher decks, and they always seem to have quite a few creatures on your side. But if you're not on board and your opponent's on board with five or six creatures to your like one or two creatures, you do not want to play Soul Snatcher. <laughs> like, it is not the right time to play it. You need to be the one ahead on board with like problematic creatures such as Restring Guntus or Charettes, that kind of stuff where they want to kill your creatures, but if they do it, they're just giving you Amber. So it's really cool in those situations that you can, you know, force your opponent into bad decisions in giving you Amber to take care of creatures. And just to kind of even just play, it forces everybody to play the game a little bit differently. I love that card so much. Definitely one of my favorite, like one of the most fun cards in the game to me, just because everybody's got Amber just like coming out of their ears all of a sudden. (laughs) I've in the, just a very quick tangent in the sealed tournament or no no sorry the Archon Chainbound tournament I played at I uh, one of my opponents had Soul Snatcher out and eight creatures and in my hand I, I had like maybe four creatures in my hand I had uh, destroy them all the Mars card that could get rid of the Soul Snatcher and I had Coward's End and had to sort of make that decision like can i allow him to have his board for a turn or do i just like give him eight amber and ultimately nice. play call. the cards in and still win the game we're just going to finish on life ward for dis so life ward is another artifact comes in with an amber has an omni ability so you can do it on any turn sacrifice life ward your opponent cannot play creatures on their next turn so this card again very straightforward card very good card But where it really becomes great is when you're able to really pick that perfect time to sacrifice it. It's a great way to close out games. So if you're towards the end of the game, you pop this out, you play it on the turn that you go into check, you just eliminated like maybe half their options. I mean, you've gotten rid of all the creatures that might capture something. So they can't play a charrette. They can't play urchins. They can't play an old Bruno. They can't play Abad. Like you've taken out a lot of their options to bring you off check just anytime you're going into check if you can pop one of these it's you got to read the situation um there's other places where you can hysteria into a life ward which is really fun so then their hands just full of a whole bunch of dudes that they can't play again the next turn or a gateway to dis life ward any board clear into a life ward any board since it's only you can do the coward's end life ward put out a bunch of beefy brobnar dudes and watch them kind of just shrink the next turn since they can't uh play any creatures to do anything about said brobnar dudes on board so Playing it, very simple. Deciding when to actually pop it for the effect, very skill testing. Always play it. Unless, <laughs> I guess yeah, well, unless your opponent has a Nexus out or a Rusnar, most of the time always play it. All right, that's it for Dis. Cool. All right, Logos. All right, my favorite house. Uh, first one I've got on the list is Effervescent Principle. 
so this one's a action card play. Each player loses half their amber, rounding down the loss, gain one chain. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, obviously, like, you just play this when your opponent has six amber and you have zero. Right, every single time. That's the skill. That's what I do. <laughs> do you know this one simple trick to get the most value out of your effervescent principle? Click on this podcast to find out. <laughs> Clickbait all over the place. No, but it, uh, there's other times, too, where you're, like, if they're at seven, you're at five. It's just like, gal, do you fire it off? Like, knowing that you're taking yourself back down to three you're taking them to four to prevent the check. Like, is it worth it at that point? Um, or do you let them force their key, you forge your key, and you hope that they burst up amber so you can play it again the next turn and get them while you're low on amber and they're high on amber? Like, just knowing when to fire that off to get the best effect at the minimal cost to yourself is the really skill-testing part of it. Yeah, and it's also another one that gives you a chain, which means it's all any card that gives you a chain is a card that you're not always going to be playing. So this is another one that could come up at a really awkward situation, whether it's early in the game, or maybe you draw it just after you and your opponent both forge their first key. So now you're both at like a very low amber count. You know, is it something you hold on to? Is it something you pitch? Because again, it can have a huge impact, right? It could it could be a, you know, make your opponent lose three or four amber if played correctly, but uh, hard to hard to know. All right, your favorite creature in the game. Go for it. This one's all you. All right. Igor. <laughs> Long-time listeners will know that I freaking love this card. Uh, yeah, so it's... I mean, the reason that it's on this list is because it gives you a lot of options. When you play it, you get to see three cards and... You know, deciding which of those three cards to go into your hand, the other two are going to your discard pile, is not always as straightforward as it seems. Do you take the uh, a Logos card that you can play right away, even though it's much less impactful than, you know, one of the cards that you're being forced to discard? discard? Or do you take a card and essentially chain yourself with it right away to be played on another turn? So that's a tough. It's, I mean, that, that's really it. It's pretty straightforward, but uh, not always easy to make the right call there and just being able to decide that depends a lot on the yeah. setup and knowing where you're at at the game very well so i think it's, it's a card that seems simple but more skilled players will get much more value out of it in the long run than newer players yeah because i mean it is it is deciding which of the three cards to actually hang on to in the case if maybe you have a zyx researcher which one needs to be discarded on top and then just kind of knowing what else is in your hand and in your deck as you're digging through it so like if you do draw like uh two cards from one house and one card from the other house and two of them are pretty equal kind of knowing that either what's in your hand or what you might draw into to kind of help flavor that decision to make it the best possible decision to push you forward through the game yeah igor great card super sweet card best card <laughs> we'll go to his buddy that's sitting right next to him here Helperbot, a one powered logos creature robot play you may play one non-logos card this turn we're also going to put phase shift in with this card as well phase shift is an action that does the same thing just doesn't leave the body behind and the part where this really becomes skill testing i mean it's like i guess it doesn't seem that skill testing because hey you just get to play any card from any of your other houses but just really knowing when to pull the trigger on that and really get the full value on how you're setting that up. There's some silly combos that have been discovered by some people in our Discord. I know um, B-Hawk has a deck that will um, phase shift into a Hysteria for a really, really, really big library access turn. So he'll play out a bunch of Logos creatures, phase shift into a Hysteria to keep the library access turn going. Pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean, I think very it's very similar to Igor, right? Like a lot of times you're picking between three cards, uh, you know, or and knowing which of those three to play. Um, and then also, 
a lot of times it's a card that can really color the decision of whether to call logos at all because maybe you only have two logos cards so typically you wouldn't but now if one of those is a helper bot that means you're getting rid of three cards in your hand hopefully leaving you with at least two of one house to really set up a a nice efficiency play even if it's not one of those like game swinging game winning plays like a big hysteria you know these are cards that you need to be able to identify when to just make the simple efficiency plays that are going to really help you in the long run to draw into better hands and and draw more cards throughout the game and just be more effective i think i had one last night where i helper botted in a zorg because i knew i was going to go mars the next turn so that meant i could unstun zorg on my mars turn and just get him activated that much quicker by putting him out one turn sooner and knowing that i had a bunch of mars cards to follow it up in hand kind of those kinds of plays that you just kind of get extra value yeah i mean anything that lets you make a decision you know with uh three or more cards is going to be one that's more skill testing in this game and certainly that's one indeed all right our last action card no i guess not our last action card i lied one of our last action cards second to last third to last i don't know okay third to last <laughs> let's reverse time no we we're literally talking about reverse time wait a second is that the joke or the card <laughs> it's both yep comes in with an amber pip play swap your deck in your discard pile then shuffle your deck this card oh my goodness it can do <laughs> so many nutty things or it can completely screw yourself over if you just played at the wrong time. It is just one of those cards where you don't even understand until you've played a deck like 10 or 15 times when the right time to call reverse time is, when it's not the right time to call reverse time. It's it's crazy. I really enjoy the card, but it's one of those ones, once it comes into my hand, I'm starting to think like, is now the right time? Should I wait? Can I build my art? Can I build my discard up to be more more cards that I want to get back before I play this? Or do I just fire it off now and take what's in there as a small deck that I get to replay all the 10 cards that I just played in the previous turns? Yeah, let me tell you, Dan, this is a card that I do not understand at all because I've never played with it. But I can tell it's skill testing because when I read it, I say, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, like straight up, I, I would not be able to tell you, like, this is a good reverse time deck. This is a bad reverse time deck. You know, it's just a, a totally... And I think maybe that's the point here is like this is a unique effect, totally foreign to any other Keyforge card. So just like for that reason alone, because it is such a like a distinct and strange ability, like it probably makes a great choice for an adaptive deck because you could hit some schmuck like me that just has no idea how to (laughs) operate this and either screws myself over or does it for suboptimal value. Yeah, I had a deck I started with. It has this card in it. And I think my opening record was like three and nine. And now I'm something like 15 and 11. Like once I finally got my head around when it was the right time to play it all of a sudden it just made that deck so good when i was recurring the right cards at the right time but there was definitely a learning curve to get over the top and really figure out how to actually run that card so reverse time yeah our next to next to last card (laughs) reverse time uh so next we got sloppy lab work amber pip this guy could have probably went in with Igor, but it says play, archive a card, and then discard a card. Yeah. It's a great card to cycle through your deck. You get to archive something. So if you just want to draw next, I mean, you're going to draw two extra cards at the end of your turn, thanks to this card, plus set up something for later, and then possibly pitch a dead card that's just not going to have an impact. Yeah, but you're definitely pitching something, I guess, unless it's like the last card you play. So 
you know, a lot of times that means discarding something good, something that you would otherwise be wanting to play, which I think is why it is just considerably tougher to use than its cousin lab work or hidden stash. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty straightforward why it's hard. Again, it, it's something that you have to make multiple decisions, which means it's going to be difficult to play optimally. Because uh, are you archiving the right card? Are you discarding the right card? Maybe when are you archiving a card from Logos, meaning that it's less efficient for getting through your deck, but maybe if it's something like Effervescent Principle where you can get a big impact later, that's worth it. Or it's worth it to play this card, even though if I have to discard my Hunting Witch, which is going to be a really good card later on, or maybe I just discard it because I simply can't afford to, disca- to discard anything else in my hand. All those are possibilities. It makes it tough to play optimally. All right. And the last Logos card slash three cards all rolled into one. And our last one for this episode, as people said that uh, they like the longer episodes, but wouldn't mind split episodes. So we're going to try that out this week. Uh, so we've got Wild Wormhole, a Amber Pip. Play play the top card of your deck. Action card. We have Chaos Portal. Action. It's a Logos artifact. Excuse me. Action. Choose a house. Reveal the top card of your deck. If it is of that house, play it. And last but not least, Vespillion Analyst. And scrolling down, or Fispillion Theorist, excuse me. Two power creature, cyborg scientist, elusive, reap, choose a house, reveal the top card of your deck. If it is of that house, archive it and gain one amber. Otherwise, discard it. So starting with the top two, Wild Wormhole and Chaos Portal. So Wild Wormhole, you really have to know what's in your deck. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I slam this every time. <laughs> and then you hit and a windmill it down kind of, kind of like your merkins plays where you hit life life and nuke your own board yeah man we sh- you should have got somebody else to co-host <laughs> this episode <laughs> um no wild wormholes one where it seems like an amazing card and sometimes it is and then other times it completely wrecks you i've got a deck with i think a single wild wormhole and double gateway to dis and if you're in a position where you're winning on board, it's very, and you haven't seen either gateway yet, it's almost the right decision just to pitch it to, like, if I'm ahead on board, like, I've pitched Wild Wormhole before, so I did not hit a gateway to dis and ruin my board position that I'd spent turns building up, only to be wiped out for a single amber and to add three chains to myself. So yeah, really knowing what's on top of your deck or what could potentially, the other example that is bit a few people is Wild Wormholing into a key hammer. Give your opponent six amber for nothing. Yeah, so there's just you have to know what's left in your deck. You have to know if like the worst worst case scenario, if I wild wormhole of the situation, am I going to hit something that's going to be so devastating that I would have wished I would have just pitched wild wormhole? And that's really hard to wrap your head around because, like I said, most of the time, like ninety eight percent of the time, it's great, but it's those two percent of the time that it's just going to kick you and you might lose a game because of it. Yep, you have to know all that stuff, and then say, you know what. <laughs> I'm going to roll the dice. Yeah. And then like in some of those cases too, then you have to know, do I play Wild Wormhole first? If I'm going to play like three more Logos creatures this turn, if I have, well, three is generous. You'd have four Logos cards in hand. That'd be a lot. Anyways, if you did have that though, maybe Wild Wormhole first in case you hit the gateway, and then you're able to follow up with your disc creatures. Um, if you have something like Cooperative Hunting, then you maybe want to play the three Logos creatures first into the Cooperative Hunt. All that you have to take into account as you're deciding whether or not to play Wild Wormhole and when to play it during your turn. Yep. Uh, Chaos Portal, kind of the same thing. You have a little more control with Chaos Portal, which I really like. Um, So the skill is either identifying the house you really want the card to be of, or what it could be based on how many cards are in your hand, discard, and on the board. Or like I said, you've got the control, so say you do have the gateway to disc example, you're just never going to call this. That way if you reveal 
gateway to dis it's just going to go right back on top of your deck and you're not going to get the negative effects of just playing whatever randomly is on top yeah when i play this card i'm the main thought running through my head is like man my high school statistics teacher would be so disappointed in me <laughs> i've done pretty good like my classic foul up is i was at a archon event i had this i only had one card in deck one card in deck so all i have to do is count up the cards on table in my discard <laughs> call the house that doesn't have 12 cards and play it for free. And I whiffed because I had a card in archives and I didn't, once I counted, I forgot about the card in archives. <sighs> yep. I've definitely done that too. <laughs> or like something very similar where it's just like, I know exactly what this card is. Flip it over. Ooh, that's not the one. No. So yeah, chaos portal is really cool in that you can either aim for something that you think it's going to be aim for something that you're hoping it'll be. I've tried to prolong games by hitting a sanctum capture creature, that kind of thing. So you call sanctum because you know, that's your one out and playing chaos portal into that creature is your only way you're going to continue the game. Or like I said, just calling something that you don't want to happen. So like the gateway to disc, you just do not call dis when you tap it down super fun it is super fun it feels like such value when you like hit a couple calls in a row and you're just playing out of house cards off the top of your deck which is such a sweet feeling and then last but not least the theorist the elusive reap so he's pretty much chaos portal except for you're going to archive or discard the top of your card but also potentially getting you a second amber if you call it correct so yeah he's a little bit different than chaos portal because you're more just trying to hit what it actually is otherwise you're discarding cards and that may or may not be great great well i think that wraps up the part one of the skill testing cards main topic uh before we end today do you have any final thoughts for the folks at home or in their cars or wherever they're at in their castles uh, yeah, in their forts backyard sheds. no we don't talk about those <laughs> yeah 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 call it a shed call it what it is <laughs> um no thanks everybody this is episode 11 i don't even think we made a big deal about hitting 10 but we've hit 10 it's been really great hearing all the uh positive and constructive feedback from you all so please continue to bring that to us we enjoy hearing that you enjoy hearing us that's been great. Um, yeah, it's just been really fun. Also, 5,000 downloads. I think we passed last week. Really great. Super cool. So yeah, hopefully you keep building. If you like what we're doing here, it'd be fantastic if you'd tell someone in your Keyforge group or on your local Facebook group page or whatever. And yeah. We can keep bringing more and more people into our castle and to the inner sanctum and just keep growing this great community. Indeed. You can find me. I'm Dan is someone on Twitter, D-A-N-I-S-S-O-M-E, the number one. Also, Dan is someone at Twitch. And shock of all shock, I actually streamed a couple of nights, some AOA TTS. So if you want to see some tabletop simulator in action, some AOA decks versus AOA decks, definitely go check that out. There's at least three hours worth of games. I think that's... It's like three, six, six games, six games in three hours. Not too bad. That's out there. And um, one of the sets of games is on YouTube as well. Awesome. So I'm Jake Friedman and I'm at Jake Fried on Twitter. J-A-K-E-F-R-Y-D. I'm at Jake Fried on Twitch as well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sanctimonious. And hopefully we'll see you back next week for part two of Skill Testing Cards. Archons of the Crucible, the gauntlet has been dropped by the dreaded men of Keyfort. Witness the battle over Scott's friendship. Who will triumph? Who will Scott return to? Keyfort or the Inner Sanctum? And as always, forge those keys.